Welcome to the Michigan Publishing Podcast, where we engage with the people and ideas that enable us to support the broadest possible access to scholarship and drive our leadership in academic publishing. I'm Emma Di Pasquale, Library Relations Manager at the University of Michigan Press, as well as the host for this episode. This is the second episode of our five-part mini-series, in which we will explore the theme of this year's International Open Access Week. It matters how we open knowledge, building structural equity. Through this series, we talk to a range of stakeholders addressing questions around open access and the implications of open access for diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. On today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome Carrie Nelson, Director of Scholarly Communication at the University of Wisconsin-Madison Libraries. Carrie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. We have some great questions for you today, so let's dive right in. I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to how your library engages with open access and more specifically, how your library makes decisions about supporting open access content. Sure. A little bit of context. So the time I've been in this role, a little more than five years, priorities for open access advocates has shifted quite a bit. Uh, At first, people were talking mostly about institutional open access policies and the value of those. And they've now shifted more to talking about library publishing of open content and also to considering how library collections funds relate to open access. How can that money be relating to funding open? I just say that to say the the ground is shifting quickly and there really isn't a specific best practice or single approach. Up until a year ago, our, our OA action was was a little bit piecemeal. I can say that, you know, we were involved early on. We initially started just contributing to sort of the specialized projects that distribute content openly, often using some kind of membership model or asking libraries to to pay to let some open content be made available. One example of that is, is SCOAP3. And so we've been paying into that for a really long time, but it was just driven by the selector who knew this was a thing that we should be supporting. Since then, we've, in a one-off way, sort of if there was a an advocate for a certain project and when we had the funds to support it, we would join things. We've been involved in Knowledge Unlatched, for example, Open Library for the Humanities, a handful of other sort of more specialized projects that haven't necessarily been as big as some of them. But that's where we've been in the past. We do also have an institutional repository which has been around for a long time. Like many, it's kind of, it's intended for preprints, postprints, working papers, conference proceedings, all those kinds of things. They are now able to support open data sets. And then the third sort of area we've been involved with that's been open in the past is our digital collections. We have pretty large collection of digitized photos and content related to the university, but we have other either out of copyright content that we've digitized, some that we just have permission to make available, and that's all openly available. At least if it doesn't come with a license to allow reuse, they at least are publicly and freely available to people who come. A lot of those projects have been driven by scholars who help us figure out what's worth digitizing and then provide the context around 
the content. So in some ways, they're like digital scholarship projects. And actually, we were involved in some early experiments with open journal publishing, too. They ended up not being something we maintained as sort of the technology and systems continued. So that's sort of just where we've been in the past. Uh, And again, it's kind of a not very coordinated or strategic approach. But then in the last year or so, we've had a few changes that are helping us come toward a little bit more coordinated and strategic approach. The first big one is that we've hired a collection strategist, and she's really aware of and thoughtful about how library collections budgets relates to library investment in open infrastructure and open content and that kind of thing. And in collaboration with me, our library administrators, and our subject-based selectors, the expectation is maybe over the next half year, we'll be able to come up with a collection strategy related to open. It's not clear yet what form that's going to take, but I'm really excited to just have a organized approach that we've thought about. Another thing we have going on that's going to help in this space is we're in the process of convening what we're calling a scholarly communication advisory group. And it's going to be with some campus stakeholders, eight or nine faculty, the head of our university press, some other academic staff. And the intention is to get a handful of stakeholders who have diverse perspectives on these topics with enough knowledge of the landscape that they can help us figure out what direction to go because there are, again, no best practices. We're kind of figuring this out. And then the third thing I wanted to mention relates to the Big Ten Academic Alliance. Madison, like Michigan, is a member of the BTAA. And this year in particular, BTAA libraries are working on finding some shared approaches to shifting to sort of a more open model for content. So I think we're still kind of early days of figuring out what this is going to look like, but there is a subgroup where the sustainable publishing um, group of the BTA libraries looking at how we can support some experiments, right? So again, not knowing exactly what we need to do, we do have money as a coalition and then just also bargaining power. And so we're interested in how to use that together as a large consortium to negotiate with publishers to kind of get us in the direction we want to go. One of the things we've done is signed on to the University of Michigan Fund Mission Project. And I'll say that we have talked about the value of supporting university presses. We have also joined agreements with PLOS and Cambridge University Press, where we're covering article publishing fees for scholars from our institutions. BTA is also looking at some sort of open infrastructure projects we can support. The example, if DOAJ, the Directory of Open Access Journals, and another for books, they're kind of resources that help make it easier to create and share open content. And we're looking at ways that we can fund those kinds of things. I guess the the punchline of all this is it's changing a lot and it, it's not obvious what direction we need to go, but that's where we are right now. Thank you, Carrie. That's a very helpful overview. And I think you've touched on a lot that kind of points to some of the challenges that are emerging, especially now that there's so much more happening in this open space. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit more in terms of some of the specific challenges that you're facing at your library and, and that you found are common among libraries more generally, especially in your work with BTAA and so on. 
absolutely. There are many challenges. Before getting into some of the really specific challenges, I think I have found it useful to understand and think about these issues as the sort of quote unquote wicked problem in the sort of planning and policy sense of the term where there is no obvious solution, right? There are so many players, there are so many incentives for different groups for different people. So that's just in general of the landscape. The other thing, it's sort of related. There's no right answer. My thoughts are really just one person's thoughts. A couple of more specific challenges that I'm encountering and that I see, one of the biggest ones is just the diversity of stakeholder needs and priorities. We're trying to now come up with a strategic approach that needs to work at least well enough for so many different subsets of, of stakeholders. STEM scholars whose research is funded with the expectation the authors may be paying publishing fees to make their content openly available. We also have humanities scholars that are less likely to have external research funding and whose monographic works are going to cost a lot more to publish than an article. So if we come up with a model where the authors or their institutions have to pay to publish, those people are going to be in a difficult spot. There's also differences among disciplines, just sort of cultural differences. So for example, folks in astronomy especially, but in other physics disciplines have had to share information about the things they're studying for a long time. They have a culture of collaborating and openly sharing their content with each other. Meanwhile, scholars in like chemistry and engineering are often producing outputs that could lead to really commercially valuable projects, and their culture is much more protective of their work. So when we talk about, let's promote open access to to the astronomers, they're like, oh yeah, I get it. Math people are like, oh yeah, I get it. Chemistry people are much more likely to be skeptical. Then you also have differences between where people are in their career. So early career researchers are especially going to feel the need to publish wherever is going to be best to promote their reputation, to give them credibility. And that kind of limits their choices, I guess. But meanwhile, we have some well-renowned scholars who wherever they publish, people are going to read it and know it's important and they're going to value it. And they don't need to be as worried about where they publish. So figuring out how to meet the needs of, of all these different groups is really not easy. And again, you know, it's a little bit like if we pull the string in one direction, how is that going to, you know, freeze out some other scholars? Another big challenge is just getting researchers, you know, to kind of understand the landscape and they're experts in other things. <laughs> they don't need to necessarily also be experts in scholarly publishing, implications of, you know, unsustainable library collection budgets. And so it's hard to get their attention enough to share information about why we might do something that is different than what they're used to. And again, there can be some conflict and competition if, you know, there's some skepticism, you know, are we diminishing the value of humanities scholars at the expense of another discipline? So that can be very complicated and challenging. Figuring out how to get the attention of researchers enough to kind of help us understand how we can help them and why we're doing the things we're doing is another challenge. And really the reason why we even need to be engaging the researchers relates to the sort of third big challenge in my mind, which is the answer to this you know, issue is not going to be with library budgets. Library budgets are a, kind of a drop in the bucket when you start talking about how we're paying to publish all of our research. So in order to really accomplish much, we need to have the attention and support really of institutional administrators. We're, we need to be looking at research budgets in order to make a big difference and be institutional budgets, money that's coming from both private and public funders. That's what it's going to take to actually fix this problem. 
Thank you, Carrie. And yeah, I think you've really captured a lot of what many libraries and, and folks are wrestling with in terms of challenges. And you spoke a little bit about how your library is is taking a more values-based approach and thinking through a lot of this. And I wanted to ask a follow-up to that and ask, you know, how your library is thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion and, and how open access can further your efforts there and your commitment to that. Yeah, that's a great question. It's been interesting to be in this space at this time where we've really been focused a lot more on DEI initiatives. And it's been interesting to sort of see how the conversation is going on among sort of scholarly communications folks. One thing I want to call out is there is a group called the Coalition for Diversity and Inclusion in Scholarly Communications. They're producing toolkits and resources to sort of help folks navigate this space. The other thing to think about, there's a sense of sort of, oh, if you make content openly available to people that makes it more accessible to people who may or may not be able to pay for it. So that's a great benefit of open in this space. But another big part of it is is who's able to contribute to the scholarly conversations, who's getting published, who has access to publishers. Uh, the other thing that's worth mentioning is open educational resources is a place where I actually spend a good amount of time talking about how open relates to DEI work. So students who may not have as many financial resources are still being asked to buy, you know, $400 textbooks or subscriptions to course content that's related to whatever they're working on. It's a burden. It's a huge burden for a lot of people. So affordability of course content is a big part. Open educational resources also allow instructors to customize content. So that's a good value. So again, open goes hand in hand with a lot of DEI work, and it's, it's nice to be able to make that connection whenever we're advocating for this work. Yeah, that's um, a really helpful suggestion, and, and I appreciate that. And that's certainly something that we're thinking about. And as we're thinking through that and thinking about what our future and next steps look like, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what you see as the future of open access, especially in terms of ways for libraries, consortia, and publishers to collaborate together. That's a big question. This is just one person's point of view, and I'm really just speaking for myself. I feel like the future that could get us to the most progress of science and scholarship really requires us to loosen the grip of the high-profit commercial interests that are disseminating our scholarship. If a company's profits come from gatekeeping who is able to publish based on something other than the scholarly value of their research, or their profits come from limiting access to information, then those are the two things that are going to happen. As long as those commercial interests dominate our space, then the incentives are going to not be to create the best scholarship. It's just not going to happen. My hope, and I'm optimistic, is that mission-driven entities like university presses, like in other institutions, like the consortia you're talking about, come together and find a way to provide a viable alternative to those profit-driven publishers. Again, the work we're doing with Fund to Mission, the infrastructure we might be creating. So as an example, the, the Fulcrum open source publishing resource that Michigan is involved with is an example of how we all can come together and create ways to make the ecosystem more efficient. By having the mission-driven organizations come together, we can achieve what we want. We can help move scholarship forward. We can do that without marginalizing voices that aren't going to bring in the greatest amount of profit. So I know that that's going to take time and a lot of experimentation, but ultimately I think it's the way we have to go, and I'm optimistic that we will. 
Absolutely. And we certainly appreciate the shout out and, and the collaboration that we've been able to do together so far. And I just want to thank you so much for your time today and for this really compelling discussion. I think you've touched on so many important points and we're looking forward to continue to collaborate with our library community on a lot of this. Excellent. Thank you so much, Emma. Please tune in to our next episode for a conversation about open access and research data and repositories. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Michigan Publishing Podcast. For more information about our open access model, Fund to Mission, please visit publishing.umich.edu forward slash features. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss a show. You can also follow the University of Michigan Press on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn for posts about episodes and other relevant content about our work. This podcast was written and produced by Kristen Twardarski with the support of Michigan Publishing at the University of Michigan.